thank you. I really enjoyed this song. When you think about the name of Jesus Christ, man, I have so many things in my life that I question, but one thing I do not question is Jesus and who He is. It's one of those things that I feel so confident in. I'm going to tell you this. This is the way I feel this morning. When I think about Paul, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I feel like I don't deserve or have the right to preach on this subject today because I feel like the chief of sinners at time. Like I have so many flaws in my life, spiritually speaking, that it feels almost, I almost feel guilty when I preach on this, but we all need it. I want to talk to you the next few weeks on uh, survival skills, the essentials for navigating the Christian life. And so what that means is this, there's things throughout our life that we deal with and we feel like we just can't survive through and we need some direction with. And so for today and next week and the following week, we're going to focus on those things. And, and we're going to look at it from a different point of view. It's going to be unique and different. So today I want to talk to you about the survival skills of how to survive a spiritual snake bite. I know it's really weird thinking about a spiritual snake bite. I was a little embarrassed when I was bringing this across the street because in a minute it'll make sense what it's all about because people are looking at us like, what kind of church is this? But I want to draw your attention to Numbers chapter 21 in just a minute. And I'm going to talk to you about this subject. And the subject centered around one thing called a snake. I hate snakes. I don't just hate them, I despise them. Can I have a witness? Anybody else with me? Do you mean it? Do you really hate snakes? Because if you do, you'd be willing to kill one when you see one, regardless of what the farmers say. My mother and father-in-law are here, and I know they have a farm, and people say, snakes are good. Snakes kill rats. Cats kill rats, too, and I think we'd be better off having a cat, even though I hate cats as much as I hate snakes. Maybe not to the same level, but I'd rather have a cat than a snake lurking around in, in, my, in my yard. In Alabama, all great stories start off with a snake. <laughs> I just could tell you story after story after story about snakes I've encountered. And although today's message begins with a snake, it's not a great story. It's a very sad story. It's a horrific story. It's a story that takes place in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, when I think about the snakes that they encountered, I cringe because I'm thinking I could never handle what they went through. So some of you right now are thinking, I have no idea where you're going with this or what you're even talking about. You will in just a minute. There's nothing about a snake that's good. My dad said the only good snake is a dead snake. And I'm 100% on the same page as my dad. When I met Brianna... She had a pet snake, and I thought that was the weirdest thing ever because I grew up in Alabama. I thought, why would you bring a snake into your home? Why would you have a pet snake? What's enjoyable about a pet snake? You can't train a pet snake to do anything. You can't. They're already sitting, right? They're already, what are they going to do? I mean, you can't, you can't train it to come. There's nothing about a snake that's worth having as a pet. The children of Israel in the Old Testament were not having these snakes in their camp as pets. They weren't something they planned to ever experience in the camp of Israel. For a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very clear that these are venomous, aggressive snakes. The Bible refers to them as fiery snakes. Now that could mean the color of them or the bite I don't know which one it is. I, I tend to believe it's the color of the snake, even though the bite brought death. 
But later on, we see that God told, uh, commanded them to set up uh, a staff with the snake on top that was a brazing snake. And it was the color that makes me think that it was probably the, the color of the snakes that literally went through the camp. Not necessarily the bite, even though the bite brought death. Historically, this is one of those accounts that make no sense to us. This is a biblical historic account that almost seems strange when we read in in Numbers chapter 21 about the snakes that entered into the camp of the Israelites and started killing people one after the other. Women, children, all of them started to die off. And it's one of the shortest accounts that we see of the foreshadow of Jesus Christ dying. And it'll make more sense in a minute. In Numbers chapter 20, the people of Israel were continuing their wandering journey and pursuing what's called the promised land. It's interesting. They've been liberated. They've been delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage. And if you're not familiar with the history here, we know that Moses and the ten plagues had a hand in what took place. And of course, God himself in the deliverance of the children of Israel. Now they find themselves wandering in the wilderness pursuing this promised land. But one thing after another after another prevents them from getting there. And usually it would just be circumstances, but it was more than that. It was sin after sin after sin. And they were frustrated because the direction of the journey and where it was going. It wasn't working out the way they wanted. And they wanted to go through a place called Edom in chapter 20. And so they go to the king and they say, listen, there's thousands of us and we just want safe passage through your city because if we go around, it's going to, it's going to hinder us from getting to our location and the amount of time we want. Plus there's no safety by going around. And the king of Edom says, no, there's not a chance you're going to go through our, through our city. You're not going to go down the main street. You're not going to be near our city. You can bypass our city. Well, they couldn't understand this. They said, well, We won't drink of your wells. We won't eat of your food. We won't go to the marketplaces. We literally pass straight through. Now imagine this, and I I can see why the king of Edom was thinking this way. It's like High Street right here, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people on foot walking through. And these people that are walking through, the Israelites, have a reputation that if you cross their God, he will destroy you. And so the king of Edom is like, I don't want anything to do with you guys. And if you do try to do this, we will come against you with the sword. So they pursue anyway, and then they are brought to this place where the king says, you will not go any further. So they bypass the city, understanding we don't want a bloodbath. It's not even worth it. So they're making their way around Edom, which put them in a difficult position because they knew that God had the ability to intervene and do something amazing and make this route easy by going through the middle of the city. But it didn't work out that way. I'm trying to get to a point. I hope you're with me, okay? Sometimes God will take us on directions that we don't really understand why, and they're not easy. Sometimes he puts us on paths that we think should be easier, and, and I get frustrated with that, just like the children of Israel They're thinking, you've done so much, God. Why won't you just let us go this direction? But God doesn't work the way we work. They knew that God could do it. They knew God could easily overcome the city of Edom and make make it where they could have safe passage. But God didn't. And the journey led them in a difficult path. And, And here's where they're at. A path 
with some battles and some difficulties because the King Arad of the Canaanites rises up against them and he, and he ambushes them as they're going around the city. And so he takes some of them captive. He kills some of them. And through that, they're so frustrated. Now, I want you to picture this. It's like the children of Israel at this time are dealing with millennials. Nothing against millennials, but just gather your thoughts here. The older generation that was in Egypt is now dying off. The younger generations heard stories and they know about Egypt, but they don't fully understand everything that took place in Egypt. So they're murmuring. There's that word we've used for the last two weeks. They're complaining and they're saying, this is garbage, man. I mean, we should have just went straight through the city. I've heard the stories what God can do, but we go around the city and now we're bombarded by this enemy. They've taken some of our people captive. What are we doing? We were better off staying in Egypt where our forefathers were. I mean, at least we had food, we had water, we had safety, even where we were in bondage. They couldn't really fully understand what they went through while they were in Egypt. And so what they said is this, in the midst of their complaining and arguing, the millennials of this time said, God, if you will allow us to rise up against the Canaanites, we'll kill them and we'll destroy all of their cities and everything that they have. Just come alongside of us. So God intervenes, and the Bible says in chapter 21 of Numbers, in verse 3, the Lord hearkened to the voice of the Israelites and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. Everybody died. They had victory. So, but the, before the victory, there was a lot of promises made. If you'll do this, God... We got it. We'll follow you. We'll be intentional. We are on your side. We're your children. We are the children of Israel. But the reality was this. We make promises that we can't keep sometimes because we get excited about God intervening and then we forget the promises we made. Let me paint the picture very clear for you because I've done it a thousand times and here's transparency as a pastor. I make a deal with God, as awful as that sounds. God, if you just do this, please. I promise I'll never do this again. Just intervene. God works. And I go back on my word over and over and over and over again. And I say, well, God, please, I'm making a promise and I mean it this time. I mean it this time. If you'll just do A, B, and C, God, I will do D. Y'all been there? Please tell me I'm not the only one that's been through that. The reality is, is that's where they were. This is what they were experiencing It's easy in life to make promises. God, if you'll do this. God, if you'll do that. But afterwards, God made and made the decision to destroy them. And afterwards, according to Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 and 5, they continued the journey around the Red Sea. They had to go around Edom. And the souls of the people were discouraged. They were angry again. They just had a victory, but that wasn't good enough. They're right back in the slope of things. They're right back in the defeat and their discouragement and a little bit of depression. And they just were like, I I just can't handle this anymore. This is just so overwhelming. And the people spoke against God, the Bible says in chapter uh, 21, verse 5, and against Moses. And they said, you know what? Our leader, he's a mess. He has no idea what he's doing. I heard my father and my grandfather, my great-grandfather, talk about the way he handles things. It's just not good. He didn't know what he was doing then, and now here we go through it again. You know when they said the words, we were better off in Egypt, 
and these are like the millennials of this time, they had no idea what Egypt was about. You know where they had that idea? Because they heard their grandfather say it. And they heard their mom say it and their dad say it. And they talked about that period of time because they heard murmuring throughout their generation and generation after that. That's the way we get. We get so consumed with these ideas of we know what's best and, and we start murmuring and complaining. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that they got to the point that they were murmuring against God, which is a bad decision, in Moses, the leadership, saying we're better off back in Egypt. Everything we have, including the bread, the water, everything that God has provided is worthless. It calls the bread light, which means worthless. They were disgusted. The literal translation is we are disgusted with this worthless provision that God has given us. Now they crossed a line. This is when you don't get what you want the way you want and when you want. And then you start lashing out to God and on God and with others. And you start bickering and complaining and God says, enough, enough. And so what we see here now, between their anger and bitterness and ungrateful spirit, God moving in because of the sin that settled in the camp. They forgot where God brought them from and what he did for them. They not only started to lash out on Moses, their leader, but also God, their heavenly father, in the provision he provided. Which brings us to this point in the story about the snakes. Yes, I love talking about the stories. I don't like looking at a snake face to face. I just like telling the stories about how maybe me and my brothers growing up killed a snake in the backyard. They slither and hide in the most unique places. In this story, it was very evident where they were because they were all over the camp of the Israelites. Which brings us to verse 6. The Lord made a decision. And the decision was to allow these fiery serpents to go amongst the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. This is so profound. Why? Why would God do that? A couple of thoughts here before we dive into this. One, I believe that God literally stepped back and removed his provision and protection and said, you want to do this your way? You are ungrateful for what I've done for you and what I've provided. Now you can experience what's always been there. And now you're going to have to figure it out on your own. The protection maybe has been removed. Or, as the Bible says right here, he sent them, literally. He intentionally said, just like I dealt with the Egyptians, I'm going to deal with you. Except it won't be plagues. It's going to be unique and distinct. It's going to be these serpents that are in the wilderness. And I'm going to allow them to move in the camp because of the sin that's in your life. And it's literally being bitten by sin itself. The experience is going to be agonizing. What you're allowing your discord against me is not going to end well. It's going to end in death. And that's why sin always does. So... Here's some steps to take in order to survive a spiritual snake bite. I know it's weird, but you'll never forget it. Because the same steps they had to take, we have to take, even though this was the Old Testament. Spiritually speaking, when you allow sin in your life, and it gets in camp, and it bites you, it takes over you, and if you don't handle it, it will defeat you and destroy you. Destroy you. Step number one, acknowledge you have been bitten. Wow, isn't that simplistic? Acknowledge you've been bitten. When I was a kid... I remember my dad was at work, and uh, 
he came home and he said, you know, the weirdest thing happened today. I was moving some stuff. My dad was a vinyl cider. He said, I moved some siding and I thought this frog kept on jumping on my pant leg. I wasn't paying attention. I just saw a frog and I, saw, and I just thought maybe it was the frog that jumped on my pant leg a couple times until I paid more attention, looked down and noticed there was a snake there too. And it was the snake striking my leg, but my pants were so thick and my boots were there, it didn't penetrate. Have you ever woke up and you saw something on your skin and you thought, oh, something bit me last night. Have you ever been bit through the night and you didn't realize during the night that you were bitten by something? Here's the thing. It's important to acknowledge that you've been bitten when it comes to sin. My dad didn't realize it wasn't a frog. It was a snake at the time he was being bitten. I think what happens with Christians is they don't even realize or acknowledge they've been bitten by sin. Let me make it very simple for you. When's the last time you acknowledged the sin that's in your life? Do you even realize that you've been bitten by sin and you are literally living a lifestyle of sin? In order for the children of Israel to understand their need of help, they first had to acknowledge their condition. They were bitten. They, they, they were in sin. They were literally living a lifestyle of sin Acting like you haven't been bitten doesn't mean you have not been bitten. Somebody that gets bit by a snake, they're not going to go, you know what, everything's good. I'm not really sure what happened here and ignore it because something bad is going to happen if you ignore it. You have to acknowledge if you have sin in your life, have you acknowledged the condition that you're in? People live as they have no sin in their life when they've been bitten. I'm talking about people living in a lifestyle of adultery. I'm talking about people living in a lifestyle of lust. People that are living in a lifestyle of bitterness and anger. And all these things are just consuming them. And they act as if it doesn't exist. But everybody around them is like, you know, you've got some issues. There's something not right here. It's like you got bit by a rattlesnake and you're walking around like everything's good, but your arm's all swollen up. It's just chunking and everything is coming apart. And you're like, I'm good. I'm good. There's no problems here. And you're not acknowledging the condition you're in. You've been bitten by something that's tearing your life up and you've got to understand your condition. Isn't that so simplistic? The snakes represent the sins that get in our lives. You know, sin is present all the time because we live in a sin-cursed world. You see, the snakes were hid under the ground. They were always there. They were always present, a deadly force of nature that could consume them at any time. Problem is, is we're the same way. We, we know there's sin around us. We experience the reality of living in a sin-cursed world, but we're not sober and vigilant and paying attention to what's right here amongst us. And, and because of that, we put our guard down and we allow those things to slither into our life and bite us and because we've had our guard down for so long, we don't even realize we've been bitten. That's why we can live in a lifestyle of sin and not even acknowledge it. There's like no conviction. There's no concern. If I don't intentionally make it a point that I am sober and vigilant, the very snakes of sin enter in my life. And before I know it, I have found myself so passive, so clueless that they strike me without me even acknowledging the fact that I was bitten, and I start living a lifestyle of sin 
as if I wasn't bitten. When I was a kid, my dad had this old pickup truck. It was a Dodge pickup truck. And this Dodge truck, my dad had full of garbage from a job he did. And uh, it was a broke down truck. I think I got a picture of the truck. And my dad's like, I want you to empty out the back of this truck. And so I'm thinking, really? Why not Tony, Denny, even Christine or Dana? Why me? Because I knew that that truck's been sitting and there's probably snakes in the back of that truck. So I do what I always do when I'm doing anything in the yard in Somerville, Alabama. I got a shotgun. I sat next to where I was working. So one piece at a time, I was being sober. I was being vigilant because I didn't want to get bit by a snake unexpectedly. Now, I didn't want to get bit by a snake, period. But I started moving piece after piece after piece, and then boom, there was a snake. So I get the shotgun, and I shoot the snake. That was one. Then I move a little bit more, a little bit more, and there was another snake coiled up, just ready to strike. I shoot that snake. Then I clean out a little bit more. Before I know it, there's three snakes in the back of that truck that I shot. The whole time, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that I'm shooting a shotgun in the back of a metal truck. And it did not have a plastic bed liner. I just wanted to shoot the snake and make sure it was dead. Here was the point. It's as simplistic as this. I had to be very sober and vigilant with every step and move I made. Just as Israel lost the urgency to notice the danger of sin, the urgency to watch their mouth, the urgency to be aware of the way they're speaking about leadership, So do we. We have to be vigilant and aware. We lose focus of the dangers of sin around us and allow it to enter into our camps and in our lives. It eventually will bite us. And if we don't acknowledge that we've been bitten, we'll continue to live in that sin. And it slowly decays us, spiritually speaking. Israel lost focus of God's provision and Moses' wisdom. And this is interesting. Because of that, their families were attacked by the sin. It wasn't just an individual. It affected everybody. And that's what sin does. The Bible says in James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Even in the book of Romans, we read of the account for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the reality of it. When we allow... if you would, the sin to slither into our lives, it will always end in tragedy. When the children of Israel saw their condition, they sought forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 21 verse 7 says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. In other words, we acknowledge that we've been bitten. We understand our condition. Step one. If you want to survive a spiritual snake bite, you better understand your condition. I have sinned. David said it best. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. He says, I know my iniquity. I can see it clearly. And David had a lot of iniquity in his life. So step one, you have to acknowledge you have been bitten. Here's step two, and it's short. Identify the snake that bit you. It's interesting. When I was in high school, I had a friend named Justin Huckabee, and he was cleaning out his shed. He reached in a box, and a snake bit him. He said, David, I didn't know what to do because my parents were gone. We didn't have cell phones. And so he said, you know, I was like, I guess I'll just sit here and wait until I die. And I'm like, why don't you just call 911? You know, he's like, well, I didn't know for sure if it was a poisonous snake. I would have still called 911. He said, I couldn't identify the snake. My dad finally came home after I waited all day. 
thinking, I'm going to die. And my dad found out it was just a king snake. They can bite you. They can draw blood, but they have no fangs. They have no venom. And he said, here I was this whole time thinking I'm going to die. And I didn't realize that I was bitten by a king snake. Uh, it was non-venomous. I think what we need to realize is what kind of sin is in our lives? You say you realize you've been bitten But what kind of snake, or if you can identify it as what kind of sin is in your life? Numbers 21, verse 7. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. They were very specific about their sin. I think what happens in people's lives is they don't get the sin taken care of because they really don't understand what they're dealing with. You understand what I'm saying? And anti-venom, it has to be specifically for the type of snake you've been bitten by. So if you were bitten by a rattlesnake, there's a certain kind of anti-venom that you have to take for that. Same with a water moccasin, same with a a cobra, same with any type of poisonous snake. I think what we need to do is get to the point we understand what am I dealing with in my life so I can get this right. I want to be very specific about what I'm saying. Have you ever said to your kids, do you realize that you just did this, that, and the other? Are you sorry? Yes, Dad, I am sorry. That's why Kristen used to talk. Yes, Dad, I am sorry. Say, what are you sorry about? That's when they have to think. I feel like as Christians, we do that all the time with our Heavenly Father. Yes, I am sorry. What are you sorry about? What, do you, what, what is the problem? See, they acknowledge that we murmured against Moses and against you, God. That's why we know we got to get this right. We know, step one, that we have been bitten. We know there's sin in our life. Step two, they've been, what, what they were bitten by was this anger and bitterness against the leadership. I think this is what happens, too, in so many people's lives. They don't really understand what the sin is. So what they'll do is say, I'm just an angry person. Just an angry person. And the reality is, is the sin is not necessarily the anger. It's the bitterness from something that happened previously in their life. And they've never got it right. And this is just the results. You get bit by a snake, your arm's going to swell up and there's going to be a redness and there's going to be a heat there and it's going to spread through your arm and you're going to have a weakness and it affects other parts of your body. The problem is not this. The problem is the venom that caused this. I feel like the venomous sin in most people's lives started way before they saw the anger. It was a bitterness. This is just one example of that. And I feel like they've never made it a point in this particular situation I'm talking about to ask God to forgive them for the bitterness and forgive that person that hurt them, whether it be a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, an aunt or uncle, something that maybe happened as a child. There was something kind of a sexual harassment or abuse. And I feel like what happens so often is people do not acknowledge that and they allow it to fester and create more problems in their life. And until they can identify where the root is, they can't truly get it right. I'm, I know that seems so simplistic, but the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins it has to be specific. You ever seen the kids when they pray at night and the little five-year-old's like, I pray for all the people of the world. Well, that's cute. All the people of the world. I feel like what we do with our sin is just, Lord, forgive me. Of what? What are you doing wrong? Yes, you've been bitten by sin. There's something wrong in your life. But you have to identify the issue. Because if you don't, you can't take the next step that we have to take, which is step three. It's vitally important. And that is this. Seek help. 
I don't know anybody that would get bit by a snake and not seek help. Unless they're just a complete idiot like Justin Huckabee, my, my friend when he was in high school. You never hear of anybody that get bit, bit by a snake and didn't seek help. The children of Israel not only acknowledged and identified the sin, but they also sought help. Who did they go to? Well, the Bible says they went to Moses and they said, pray unto the Lord that he can take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Let me say it this way. I, I am fully understanding the reality that is between you and God. You acknowledge that you've been bitten by sin. There's something not right in your life. You know what it is. You acknowledge what it is. You personally make a decision to pray and ask God to intervene, forgive you, help you, change you. But I'm afraid people stop right there and don't take the next step. Get the help they need. You can't take an aspirin or essential oils for a snake bite. You can try it. You, you can make it an effort, but the reality is it's not going to take away the poison that's in your arm. It's not going re- to fix the issue. I think what we do often is, I, I feel like often what we do is we find people that get their life right and they go right back, right back, right back and back again because they've not taken the necessary steps to get the help they need. Accountability is a necessity in life. Counsel is so important. A multitude of counselors, there's safety there. I believe that people are getting things right in their life and they're taking necessary steps to repent, but they're not taking the next steps to prevent. Are you all following me? Same with sin. If you want to be better in your marriage, your family, if you want to overcome your anger, your bitterness, the poison that's consuming you, yes, you repent, but then you take the necessary steps to prevent. We're so busy trying to fix things our way, and we get so stubborn and angry, we don't want anybody to know about our anxiety, our depression. We hold it all in, and we explode eventually. Nothing, it never goes well if you hold it all in. I'm a very expressive person. I tell everybody my issues and my problems. I know. It's my wife nods her head, yes. I'm not saying you've got to spill the beans to everybody what you're dealing with, but you better find a key person like they found Moses to intervene and help you and help you take the necessary steps in your life to make sure this doesn't happen again. Moses went above and beyond because he obeyed God to help them get the remedies they need. I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, I, I remember watching the movie uh, City Slickers. I was just a kid, and I thought, the funniest scene in the movie is when a guy thought he got bit by a snake. And he's like, you got to suck out the venom. And he's like, I'm not sucking the venom out. He's like, got to. The reality is, that doesn't fix the issue. And I feel like sometimes we're picking people in our lives that we think are going to fix our issues And we maybe even rely on people as an accountability or a counselor. And we rely on them more than God. And it doesn't fix the issue. It's just the person that's there to help you not to continue with your issue. You've got to go to God with faith. And that's the problem. What we do is we find ourselves not having the faith we need to have that God can fix our issues. We're like, there's no hope for me. I'm broken. I've heard so many people say that. I'm broken. There's no hope for me. The key is, is you've got to have faith that God can fix the brokenness. The Bible warns us of the importance of repentance, but also the steps we must take to get better and stay better. So this is what Moses did. He went to the Lord in prayer, understanding that he was the source of life and that he was the only one we can look to by faith for a complete redemption, a purge 
and a start over. So God told him to take the staff, this pole. Some believe it literally was the staff that he used when he went before Pharaoh. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it up on that pole or that staff. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, as strange as it is, when he looks upon it shall live. And so Moses did. He, he took a serpent of brass and he put it on the pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten a man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So I bring this today just for an illustration. I'm not really sure what it looked like, but this is the best I got. To me, I would think a couple of things if I had to look up at this. One, I would think, am I doing something wrong because is this an idol? Because they just came out of Egypt and, and, and they already dealt with some situations concerning an idol made of gold and it was a calf. So my immediate reaction is like, wait a second, this is strange. Am I doing the right thing? Can I trust God and what he's saying to do? The other is, how in the world is this going to fix my issues? It wasn't this that fixed the issue. It wasn't Moses as the counselor and a guidance and accountability or whatever you want to define him as that fixed the issue. One word fixed the issue. Faith. Faith. They had to believe that God can do something greater than anybody else could. And they had to believe that God, through this, because he commanded them to do it this way, will intervene and save their life. And so the Bible explains to us and makes it very clear that they looked upon the serpent and they lived. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath, was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous of God in him. I love this because the snake represents sin. The bronze snake represents Jesus who would one day be crucified. Jesus even said it this way, and as Moses was lifted up and lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. In other words, the son of man being Jesus Christ must be lifted up on the cross and be crucified. And those that have faith and believe that he is the son of God, that he lived and he will die and he will rise again, will be redeemed. They will have a new life. It was a symbolic foreshadowing of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where the life begins. But it wasn't because of this. It wasn't because of Moses. It was simply because of faith. I'm telling you right now, if you want to recover from a spiritual snake bite, if you have sin in your life, yes, you've got to realize you've been bitten. There's sin there. You have to realize what the sin is. No doubt about it. What kind of snake bit you, if you would. But then you'd get help. But overall, if you don't believe that God is able to change you, you will never, ever change. God uses the most unique, unusual circumstances to turn lives around, to turn marriages around, to turn children around, to turn dating relationships around. God works in mysterious ways, but we have to believe and have faith that he's able and willing to do it. And so this foreshadowing of what's to come through Jesus Christ. And here at that very moment, they looked up and believed and, 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 and believed that God was able to use this by faith to save them. I'm going to stop there, okay? And I want you to think about this. It is impossible to recover from a spiritual snake bite unless you choose to, to, to look at God and believe that he is able 
and take this last step in your recovery. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I, I know this is very interesting to think, but they never got rid of the pole. They never got rid of the serpent. They held on to it. This is so strange. I don't know if they held on to it with the thought that if these snakes ever come again, we won't set up that pole. I don't know. But I know when you get to Kings, First and Second Kings, you see, and I believe it's in Second Kings, the account of this again. What was once provision is now become perversion. They started worshiping it. Isn't that weird? What God meant to save the people now corrupted them. We do that so often. We take all the necessary steps that we need to take. And then all of a sudden, when God brings us redemption and everything changes and we're on the right track, the next generation repeats everything we did. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't catch on to this reality, then your children and your children's children and their children's children will suffer just like you did. We have to embrace the very reality that if we are going to recover from a spiritual snake bite, there are some steps, and those are the same steps we pass on to the next generation. And it's as simple as this. Acknowledge that you've been bitten. Identify the snake that bit you. And as simple as this is, seek help. And the greatest help comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that there wouldn't have been bondage and persecution and the problems of the Jewish people if they would have just learned the principle of faith in God and God alone instead of twisting it and perverting the provision. And over and over and over again, we saw the fall. Up to Hitler. I'm going to tell you, the key is simple. Would you bow your head for a moment? The key to changing everything in your life is the simple steps that God has given us. How serious are you? I heard the story of Eric Russell, Georgia Southern head coach, and how he was overwhelmed with the cocaine epidemic that was taking place in the 80s. A number of very popular uh, athletes died because of a cocaine overdose. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, Do, uh, Don Rogers, he died. And in Boston Celtic, Leon Bias, he died. And so this coach was so overwhelmed by what was happening. He wanted to make it. He, he made a decision that he thought was going to wake up his team. I want you to do this before you pray. I want you to look this way. This man made a decision that shook his team. He goes to the locker room and he takes a large bag and he says to the men before they went out on the field for practice, you guys need to be so vigilant, so aggressive about cocaine that you stay away from it. No matter what, you run from it. You fear it. You never allow it to get in your life. Of course, those guys, just like a lot of guys, they're just kind of nonchalant, joking around, not paying attention. Until he dumps out the bag and the biggest rattlesnake hits the floor and everybody starts running and the rattlesnake starts moving and everybody's getting out of the locker room. So he gathers everybody in the field. He said, that is the reality of what I wanted you to have. I want you to be so aware of what it can do to you. You run from it. You run and you get away from it as fast as you can. If we don't treat 
sin the same way, man, it's going to creep into every aspect of our life. And the reason that the, the Israelites was affected in their camp is because it was in their tents. It was where they ate. It was where they slept. And I'm afraid to say that when we allow sin to creep in, even in my own life, it affects every area of my life. And unless I am sober and vigilant and running from it as fast as I can, it will consume and destroy us. Are you all with me? So now before you bow your head and pray with me, the question is simple. Man, how are we serious? Can we get serious about this? Because I'm going to be very transparent. I don't think I've been serious about it. I have seasons where I get serious. Where things scare me to death. Like what Logan was going through. I want to use Logan as an example. But it's just true. In my own life I found myself going. Hey evaluate. Evaluate. And then I'm like the children of Israel. Eh, things are okay. And then I start slipping. I allow my tongue to say things it shouldn't say. Because I'm just sometimes getting negative and angry. And that's the snake slipping into my life and, and, and I'm, I'm getting bit and I don't even realize it. And then it's affecting everything. It's affecting my kids. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my life. Y'all following me? I don't know if you've been bitten. But right now you better evaluate before we leave this room. Because the only way you're going to survive in the Christian life, true survival, starts with recognition. And it starts right now.